Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome to episode six of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Lily. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk a lot about the brain today, but we're also going to recap and and bring in a few bits and pieces from some of our previous episodes um, because we think it ties nicely into some of the stuff we want to deliver to you today. But Lily, do you want to tell us a little bit about what today's episode might include and and kind of set the the foundation for what we're going to chat about today? We're actually going to recap a little bit by going right back to episode one, so please don't be bored, but also to actually bring back to our audience why we began this whole podcast journey in the first place. And that was really to um, inform and hopefully to help you guys improve on various things that you might be interested in in your health. And because we're both chiropractors, it will be very body-based and movement-based because that's how how we work from the down up. Of course, um, down the line, we've got a psychologist speaking and she will tell us about how it works from on the top down. So that'll be quite interesting episode to follow. Uh, also to recap, I'm generally quite a lazy person. So I'd like some words to become, as we mentioned in episode one, to be magazine words. And what we really mean by that is that words which we can throw around um, quite freely, they're correct. They're not to show off that you know more than anybody else, but we want these words to be easily used so that if you should go and see a health practitioner, you can use them um, with some correct meaning. So in the beginning, we mentioned a word called homeostasis, and that's just a state of being in a lovely balance. So good health is all about being as homeostatic as possible on many different levels, physically, biochemically, as well as mentally and emotionally. We were also going to introduce a few more words in that episode, which we've never got round to. So here we go. Upregulate. So that's the word we will come up with every so often. And that just simply means enhancing something that's already possibly working, but upregulating, meaning um, a little bit more of that if possible. We might use the word modulate. We might use the words feedback and feed forward. And correct usage of the words hypo and hyper. So um, many years ago when my kids were tiny, you know, I would have parents referring to a child who was quite active. Oh my God, he's so hypo. And I just had to really zip my mouth by saying, well, hypo meaning he's a lot less, you know, which means that he is hyper. So simply said, hyper means more, hypo means less. We also introduced words like um, vagal tone in our first episode. We also introduced, um, which we, oh no, we didn't introduce this word, but I would like to use it somewhere down the line, and that's called multimodal. And with reference to the different modes of senses in our body. So we can see, we can hear, we can touch, we can feel, we can smell. So various techniques that chiropractors might do will be to um, use various uh, modalities. And so we'll call them multimodal. How does that sound, Sarah? Yeah, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, nice to clear up some of those terms, but also, as you said, makes our job very easy when we're talking about this sort of stuff. Um, You and I are going to talk 
you know, we talk about this sort of stuff every day, all day. And so having, or I guess clearing up some of those, those terms is going to make our job easier, but also hopefully listening to some of our chats uh, much clearer as well with the direction that we're, we're chatting in. Okay. So that on the weekend I went to, I didn't go anywhere because I'm not allowed to, but I attended a um, pediatrics um, seminar online and some very interesting speakers. So, of course, um, whenever I go to a seminar, um, first thing on Monday morning, I'm about to to practice all these things I learned and people I've heard about and see if they actually work in um, the real world, in the real space of clinical practice. And, and one thing I found out on the weekend, which I am going to use and I was really quite impressed about, was a speaker who was actually a functional um neuroscience chiropractor talking about grip strength, G-R-I-P, grip strength, and its relation to um, our overall health. And there's been so much research regarding how kids can't grip anymore. And they don't climb trees because they're not allowed to. They, they don't lift heavy objects because there aren't any heavy objects to lift. Pushing buttons on their phones and iPads and so on. So, so children in the end, don't develop much grip strength. And as, as our lives go on too, you'll find that adults also slowly um, begin to, to lose grip strength because they're not asked to or they don't have jobs where, where grip is actually required. And there's been a lot of studies to show that um, grip strength and um, overall health are quite closely related. So we won't go into all the research, all the findings, all the pathways, but in children, it has been shown that um, weak grip strength can often relate to weak trunkful strength too. So all their postural muscles, um, actual muscles in their, in their bodies. And as life goes on too, it was interesting to see that this research um, correlated weak grip strength with um, cardiovascular health and, um, of course, other deteriorating diseases. So we're actually going to get a dynamometer, aren't we? Sarah, for our practice, and what a dynamometer is, is a simple um, device to measure how strong um, someone can grip something just for a bit of fun, you know, mm. just in case you might need to climb a tree or escape a, a lion that's chasing you. You never know. <laughs> and apart from simply, you know, using um, a piece of equipment and practicing that strength, ways that we can sort of, in our kids, it seems quite straightforward, you know, getting them out, letting them play, getting them to climb on things, lift things, pull things, you know, do all that sort of fun grip-based play, I guess. But I guess in our older kids or so our young adolescents, our young adults and into adulthood, there's so much more gaming going on, so mm. much more technology time happening. What are some ways that we can, or what can we do? Like, what can we, what can we get our kids to be doing or our younger adults to be doing to help better their grip strength? Going back to episode four, where we talked about talked to Billy about our brain stems, and I managed to just avoid a certain word, which was um, the three Fs of the brain stems: so feed them, fight them, procreate with them. We really need to help kids find some motivation um, along those brain stem um, functions. So, mm. I mean, we can't fight things anymore. But back in the day, I mean, I love back in the day because that could be yesterday or, you know, <laughs> 3,000 years ago, um, kids did carry spears and the strong, able-bodied ones were sent out from their tribe every day and told, hey, go and find enough food so your, so your tribe can eat. So I'm not suggesting that we have marauding gangs carrying spears and bows <laughs> and arrows around. I'm sure they exist in the world. But something along the lines to make it so much fun. So going back to episode um, two, I think, with you, Sarah, or episode one regarding sport. Mm. There's so many fun ways um, for adolescents to, to stay fit and healthy. And 
you yourself have just begun um, playing ultimate frisbee at a very high yeah. level, you know, yeah. and you didn't start that till you were um, at university. And when you were a kid, you were an elite netballer. Mm. So I don't think there's a shortage of things for kids to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how do you motivate them? Well, that yeah, that's a great question. That's a whole nother, oh, whole nother ball game, isn't it? Maybe start when they're six weeks old. Yeah, yeah. Create the habit when they're two years old. Yeah, I don't know. I I sort of feel that sometimes um, we have to go right back to basics. I mean, I would pre- I would love anyone to write into us with a whole bunch of su- suggestions yeah, because sure. parenting that age group was so long ago for me, and and things have changed. You know, yeah. I mean. When my kids were little or in the adolescence, we made sure we went camping on a regular basis. And I mean, the kids stayed in the same clothing for two weeks at a time mm-hmm. and they rode bikes, they dug holes, they fought. They did lots of things we didn't see. You know, yeah. I'm sure most of it was highly legal and dangerous. But maybe to let kids um, roam a bit safely. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, um, we don't really see kids riding around the, the streets on their bikes anymore or kind of having that, I guess, extra playtime, I guess you could call it, that's not sort of just always supervised as well. So I think letting our kids explore a little bit more, maybe when they're, you know, getting older and stuff, yeah, encouraging them to still be playing sports I think is a great one. Um, but, yeah, I think as as we get older and into adulthood, it gets a lot harder to, I guess, think of some good examples uh, of ways that we can better our group Yeah, strength. and also maybe to inconvenience ourselves. So once again, going back to um, back in the day example or back in some cultures, you only had water in your house if you actually went to the village well every day to yeah. bring it back, you know. So the way we live now is so convenient. You know, we, we push buttons to to be fed, mm. you know, to go to, um, to do shopping. We just do it all online these days. So yeah. I guess it's a matter of simplifying things. And I guess during lockdown, I saw a lot of families who allowed their kids to roam a bit. There were all these parks or bushwalks around Sydney that they never knew existed. And I have heard stories in, in our practice where kids just take off on their bikes, you know, yeah. build ramps, um, get into trouble, you know, break bones, but really have had a great time during lockdown. So how do we actually continue to get kids to really engage in in staying strong, basically, and, and yeah. adults to stay strong. Yeah. And also for the right reasons of staying strong, which is to stay healthy and yeah. and somehow shave away the vanity of staying strong because, I mean, as you know, Sarah, we're all into fitness, but um, we've all been to the gym, not recently, of course, but there are these muscles that PTs will call mirror muscles, the ones which are seen in the mirror you know, and we all know that they are very nicely, you know, good for show, you know, a beautiful mm-hmm. bunch of biceps. But what about those extensor tone? You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I mean, how do you motivate people? I've, I don't really have the knack for that. No, well, maybe, maybe that's what we can hear from our listeners. You know, maybe they can, can mm. chat to us about how they motivate themselves or how, how they motivate their um, younger adults and mm. uh, older adolescents. And I guess I've always tried to motivate people just by giving them information as to why these things matter, um, which will bring us quite neatly soon to the main topic, you know, which is um, about the cerebellum, yeah. you know, soon to be spoken about in a moment. If we can describe why it's important to to have movement and how healthy our brain stays as a result, maybe that will help our audience try and find ways to um, to to get active, stay active mm. and have a healthier brain. Yeah, for sure. And just quickly, Lily, you mentioned as well with the grip strength test and mm. that being a really good 
uh, measurement, I guess, of overall strength and overall health, I guess. Is that sort of something with your course, with the um, conference you were doing over the weekend that kind of leads into healthy aging? Is that kind of the idea that it's a good indicator? Mm, good long-term? point. I mean, it is. it was a pediatric conference, so not specifically. Yeah. But when we come to discuss the um, the cerebellum in its anatomy, maybe our audience can make some links. Yeah, cool. So as we discussed, you know, early on today, Sarah, that we wanted to give simple information, but correct information. Mm. You know, most of our neuro colleagues will probably cringe, as I've said in the past, but really we can't, you know, educate people in neuroanatomy, but we no. want to... Um, allow people enough well we want to tell people enough knowledge they can go up and they can go and look it up if they want to or synthesize an exercise that you know might follow along the lines of a good cerebellum let's say yeah yeah cool but you know before we go on to that just quickly um this is like a an older person speaking on um a younger community that i'm observing and i'm going to apologize straight up now if i offend anybody (laughs) but just in the last um couple of weeks I've seen a lot of young mums or mums of young children, um, babies, carrying babies in the front pouches a lot. And I mean, these devices are wonderful for soothing. However, um, a baby needs to move. Mm. It needs to extend its limbs. It needs to become strong. It needs to lift its head up. So although we all love to cuddle a baby, I often wonder whether sometimes it's for us and not them. You know, so I like to see babies a lot more on the floor. You know, as you were talking about in your primitive reflex um, episode, they need to be grounded. They need to be put down on a firm surface so they can feel what gravity um, does to them and how they can actually defy gravity, you know, and stand one day. So I guess um, not really a popular opinion, but we like kids not to be carried so much in those pouches, you know, to be allowed to to be on the ground a lot more. Mm. And sometimes being pushed in a pram that where they can sit up a little bit and turn their heads and look around at the world. So often we'll tell parents, you know, um, they know who you are, so the pram can face you if you like, but they definitely know who you are. Can we not turn the pram to face outwards so they can see the world and move their eyes around a little bit more and develop those senses? Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And I think when when and we're all the same right when you can see things or when you're looking at other things that you don't look at every day for in that example with the pram looking at mum or dad every day you're automatically curious and that's going to automatically make us move our head and turn our eyes and do things which is naturally going to induce some of that movement so I think yeah Mm, very important and so this is um you know I'm going to quickly discuss one little aspect of neuroscience that it's is quite um easy to explain really but quite important to put into context as to why we are going to go on a bit about the cerebellum. And that is um, we have various um, nerves in our bodies of different um, diameters and calibers. So I'll just leave it at that. They have various classifications. Some of the the fattest nerves and most fast conducting nerves in our bodies live in our joints. So they're called joint mechanoreceptors. Now, these nerves fire to the brain information at 120 meters per second. So there's been heaps of research done to show that every time these nerves fire off, that particular part of the brain, see homunculus, um, lights up. (laughs) Sorry, Jasper. So these nerves light up and those parts of the brain go through um, 
early gene responses and they become um, stronger and healthier and those pathways are, are kept um, really alive and well. So in short, if those nerves fire, those parts of the brain stay alive and healthy for longer. So, you know, movement is really important. You know, we need to keep our bodies moving so that um, basically our brains stay healthier. Yeah, that feedback, right? That mm, feedback mm. loop to the brain. Mm. And then feedback down. and feed forward, yeah. yeah. Now we'll quickly mention this teeny wee part of our brain called the cerebellum. Yes, teeny wee part, right? <laughs> the, it's, you know, labelled the little brain, as we know from all of our neuro study. Um, but it's not not quite so little, is it, Lily? What are the dimensions of the cerebellum? <laughs> so funnily enough, so to kind of piece together a picture for you, I want you to kind of imagine a walnut. Um, that's the kind of look that the cerebellum has, or you can just simply Google it and you'll see an image of it. And it's called little brain. It refers to, I guess, a little mini brain that sits at the, at the bottom. And it is 500 centimetres squared. So if you're like me, that probably means nothing. That is when it's all unraveled and when it, we kind of the surface, um, put together the surface area of the cerebellum. It's about one metre by about five centimetres. Um, so kind of like a scarf, if you picture that. That's kind of how I'm seeing it in my head at the moment. Really long. That little thing gets all squished up and wound up and it's in the, sitting in the back or sitting near your brain in your head, uh, which is amazing, right? And it weighs about 150 grams. So this tiny little thing, well, not so tiny in its functions, but tiny little thing that sits at the back of our brain there um, called the cerebellum. So please Google it so you can see an image of what I'm talking about at the moment. But it has so, so many functions. And I think, um, Lily, I'm sure you'll touch on this in a second, but it's traditionally been known or played a big part in motor learning. It's also played a really big part in posture and our postural muscles or that ability to stand upright under gravity. Um, but more recently, it's a lot of research has been done to show that it plays a big part in cognition and emotion as well. And I think a really easy way to think about that is, you know, when we learn a new skill, so that motor learning, when we're learning something, we often attach memories or emotions to that as well. So there's no surprise to me that there is a cognition and emotive component of the cerebellum. But Lily, t tell us a little bit about the cerebellum, what it does and why it's such a cool little thing. It's great that you've given us some dimensions and it's 150 grams, as you say, and mm. it's only 10% of the weight of, um, you know, the, the brain, the cortex. However, 50% um, of um, the neurons are actually in the cerebellum. So it's a it's hugely dense little um, walnut. <laughs> and it sits at um, the base of our skull, you know, so a bit hard to describe without a diagram, but it's um, where your skull meets your, your neck. And that's why actually I was banned from um, watching the rugby that my kids played because Archie, um, who will be speaking next as an uh, exercise physiologist, my youngest son, was playing rugby um, through his uh, adolescence. And Archie, if you know him, was about, I don't know, 50 kilos and um, 170 cm in height. So um, not really a rugby union um, size person, hate to say. And I was actually banned from watching him because I would pace up and down the field, stressing. And one day he said, Mum, you're not to come again because... <laughs> It's really off-putting. <laughs> but, I mean, as you would agree, Sarah, um, we see quite a few kids in the practice with um, concussion, whiplash. And strangely enough, um, oh, yeah, I did a seminar years ago on concussion and whiplash, and the population of people who had the most concussion and whiplash in sport, um, no surprises, was um, American rules football. Now, the second 
most concussed whiplash um, population of sports people, who do you think they are? Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. I have no idea. Probably something not what we would think, right? I don't know. Have a guess. <laughs> um, is it a, is it a rugby? Is it a football or a, yeah, there is, is a it, ball involved? Yeah, yes, is it soccer. Like football? it is soccer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it actually is girls' soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because um, when a girl goes up for a ball, she actually momentarily closes her eyes. As compared to a boy? Or yeah. Would a boy not? Yeah. Okay. So they've actually done, you know, slow motion studies on watching girls' soccer players head the ball. Yeah. This is where they head the ball. And um, there's a slight quick blink, you know, so she doesn't actually, I'm not sure why, maybe it's just a reflex that um, girls are smarter. But yeah, why would you hit the ball on your head in the first place? Sorry, soccer players. But yep. um, all right, so multiple concussion whiplash, um, you know, incidences with girls soccer in particular. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's where the cerebellum lives. <laughs> so shame about that. Anyway, anything else we should go on before I describe quickly the anatomy of the cerebellum? No, I think that's pretty good. I think that's hmm. yeah. Okay, given us a good intro. All right, so the cerebellum basically have, has three components. We're going to really uh, make it so simplistic. It's got a midline, it's got, it's got what's called intermediate zone, and it's got what's called lateral zone. So we have two cerebellums, if you like, one on each side or two components, right and left. And each one of these has um, that midline, um, intermediate and lateral zones. Now, it's well known that our nervous systems develop from the top down and inside out. So the inside part of the cerebellum, the, the midline, really should develop first. And it's really intimately um, involved with balance, the semicircular canals in our ears, so our vestibular system, and also um, our hearing and our eyes. So the midline cerebellum is so important for the child to develop before the other parts can um, hang on them, really. So that's why we're so into kids rolling. You know, we really love it when kids roll, when they get spun around on us and they get to line a Swiss ball, they're rocked backwards and forwards. So all their inner ear canals begin to be stimulated. So we love it when, when kids are doing all their midline work. And you'll find that kids who do these kinds of um, sort of cerebellar type movements early in life, they generally have a better core, generally speaking. You know, of course, there are many other factors attached to that. And then, of course, there's the lateral cerebellum, which is um, more thought processes and um, feed-forward thinking and planning. And in the middle there, there's also all that um, arm and, and hand movement. So, you know, things do get laid down um, in a certain order, um, but we're, well, as chiropractors, I think we can safely say this, we're really into the spine um, developing really well and all those midline uh, muscles, extensor tone, flexor tone, and so on. Would you agree, Seth? I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think if we bring this back to episode two, when we talk about primitive reflexes, the cerebellum obviously has a very big part, as you just mentioned, of that postural ability, you know, being able to actually hold our own bodies up, which, um, as you mentioned before, when babies are playing on the ground, they're exploring all of those extensor muscles and extensor group by trying to hold their heads up, trying to hold their or push themselves up um, through their hands and then progressing, obviously, through crawling and walking. But interestingly enough, our postural reflexes are replaced or replace our primitive reflexes. So if our kids are having trouble integrating some of these primitive reflexes, we're going to see yeah, quite a shift or quite a delay, I guess, in some of their postural tone and their extensor tone. Um, and that's going to relate straight back to the cerebellum. So just kind of how it ties nicely back mm, into mm. episode two. 
And also, as you discussed in episode two and all those primitive reflexes um, that we are born with and then we integrate, and then we brought up the fact that um, they reappear as our nervous systems um, disintegrates, you mm-hmm. know. So they're quite good things to look for. But what we, what, you know, me personally, I would like us to grow into um, an older person with more neurons than we need. So when we wash some off, you know, if we wash off 10 or 20%, you know, that's not going to be a huge um, thing to notice if we had a lot to go into, you know, our older age with. Yeah. But how many adults do you know who still roll around the floor? (laughs) Not many. Not many. No. Uh, and we were doing this at our lunchtime in our practice and we got all the staff to get on the ground and roll around the floor, you know, such horror. And then we asked them, okay, now when you're on the floor now, how would you get up? And I was quite curious to see how some of us rolled over our right shoulder to push ourselves off the ground and others of us rolled over the left shoulder and how hard it was to change direction. Yeah. So, you know, even at your young age, your young age, Sarah, you're in your 20s. Um, it's interesting how those habits have um, become quite wired, haven't they? Yeah. Hard well, absolutely. Yeah. I found it very natural to roll over my, well, I could roll over both, but if I was to get up after rolling, I found it very natural to roll over my left and then use my right hand and my right leg to be able to propel myself up. So there's also a dominant side there as well. Correct. Obviously, you know, I was comfortable, more more comfortable using my right side to to push me and up you see too, you never so. know when you might need it you know so mm. I was giving this exercise to one of my um, older patients and they had just moved into a much smaller um, you know house and she was doing this exercise lying on the floor next to her bed which was um, near a wall and she found that she actually got stuck because um, she couldn't roll over her less favorite shoulder to um, to sit up yeah <laughs> and Anyway, she did eventually, and now she's much better at it, but she was quite surprised how she actually had a very um, stereotypical way of rolling out of bed and pushing herself off the bed. Because when you think about it too, how many of us only sleep on that side of the bed? Yeah. The ones of us who who share a bed, you know, the unlucky ones of us who share a Mm -hmm. bed. So isn't that funny how people just don't swap their little habits? Well, funny you say that because that's how I get up in the morning. Right. I would roll over my left side so that, yeah, there you go. Mm, Very interesting. Food for thought. Yeah, and just quickly, Lily, on that, you you said before, you know, you'd love people as as we age to, you know, if we shave off ten to twenty percent of our neurons, that it shouldn't make that much of a difference if we can kind of have more of them in the first place. Give us some things that we can do, or what what are some good ways to sort of be able to prepare our body and and nurture our body mm. to that point. I think it has to start from a mindset, first of all. So once again, this goes back to our other podcast regarding um, who wants to stay well and who yeah. wants to change and and our capacity for change, you know, because I think in our next episode when Archie speaks, you know, we'll know from exercise physiologist's point of view that we all have capacity. Um, so I think it comes from the desire to change, first of all. And I think that the less convenient our lives are, the better. So a simple thing, like if you if you catch a bus or you, or you park a car somewhere, you know, in a shopping centre, park it further away. Just take, you know, a hundred more steps perhaps. Yeah. So little things to inconvenience ourselves and, you know, taking shopping to the car. A lot of people go, oh, it's all so heavy. But, I mean, what's, what's five kilos in each hand? Yeah. And the less we do, the less we can do really. So I feel it has to come from motivation, right? So... I'm not sure I'm good with people who, first of all, aren't motivated and yeah. they wouldn't come to see me in the practice anyway because they'll just get an earful from me. Yeah. But I, I feel that, yeah, let's start with wanting change. 
Um, and, and we're looking at this from all points of view. I think today we discuss quickly um, people's diet, you know, and that will be an episode down the road that we might bring a, a clinical nutritionist to talk to us. But I think it has to come from our minds wanting to first. Yeah. And then doing things in a very inconvenient way, you know, sort of carrying our own shopping rather than having a concierge do it. Yeah. Um, maybe doing our own housework rather than having a cleaner. I don't know. I mean, yeah, so lots of movement based things, you know, very much so. those mechanoreceptors. Um, even things like, I guess, learning new skills, you know, mm-hmm. really challenging the brain, doing yeah. a, a really hard jigsaw puzzle or things like that. Some more brain based exercises, I guess, to really keep our brain thinking and moving and, and you know, nourishing it. And yeah, I do agree. I think it starts with the want and the desire to do that. And also increments, because um, today I, I saw a person, you know, who um, has incredibly long elastic ligaments. I mean, I'm not using technical terms here because um, let's say she had a syndrome called Lindalos, let's yeah. say, you know, she really needs to be stronger rather than more relaxed. Yeah. So a lot of her therapies that we talk about in the practice was to give her that little bit of zing to look forward to every day, you know, like let's do something that strengthens you, that makes you jump out of bed, you know, novelty. Yeah. So I suppose this is not strictly chiropractic, but um, strangely enough, it, it could be, you know, that we just want the nervous system to have something to look forward to. And whether that's movement-based or um, cognition-based, as yeah. you say, you know, puzzles. Yeah. But I suppose novelty is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Awesome. We're probably going to keep this quite short today, aren't we, Sarah? Yeah. Well, I think the big thing we wanted to cover was the cerebellum and um, what that does and, and what that yeah, what its function is and, and how it relates to, yeah, our day-to-day stuff, right? And also coordination, we discussed that just briefly, briefly. regarding the, yeah. um, the cerebellum. So because the three little things that we will leave you will, you know, it will help you to see how your cerebellum is functioning at a very um, simplistic level because down the line, um, we do have a colleague who's a behavioral optometrist who will really dive deeply into yeah. how eye function works and how yeah. that affects your um, nervous system and mood and perception and reading and so on, both in children and adults. We may also have quite soon a discussion on the vestibular system, which we very cerebellar based. Yeah. But I suppose to leave you tonight with our three little things. Yeah, definitely. It really just the three little things that we picked out, we're just really uh, recapping what we've already told you about and, and talked about. So the first thing is grip strength. So we talked a lot about giving you some examples about that, getting our kids to climb, getting them to play a lot more and really using that grip strength a lot more so we can develop that strength, right? Um, so that's number one. Our second one, which I think is so fun and we had so much fun doing it today in the practice, was just rolling on the ground. And particularly as adults, right? As you said, how often do we do that? We don't really do that very often as adults um, other than, yeah, rolling over in bed. But get on the ground, roll over both shoulders, get up rolling um, over your left and then up over your right and just play around with what that feels like. You know, it comes back to that balance, the semicircular canals as well in the ears when you're rolling and um, igniting that vestibular system. So number two is rolling. And then number three is what we refer to as finger to nose. So if you can imagine standing still, putting um, your hands or one hand out to the side, facing forward and bringing or closing your eyes and then bring your finger to your nose and trying to touch your nose. People often find this one a little bit difficult, right, Lily? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite hilarious when you're watching each other do it. Yeah. And can I say here that um, – um, the cerebellum actually is quite particular about alcohol. It attracts alcohol. So, yeah. you know, you'll find all these um, cerebellar signs appear when someone's had one drink too many. 
So yes. you're, you're, so yes. you're right. Finger to nose, um, yeah. eyes closed, but more interestingly, um, finger to finger. So if you yeah. stretch your arms out wide and, you know, um, to either side of you and with your eyes closed, slowly brought your index fingertips so that they, they touched each other. That's actually quite a good cerebellar test. Yeah, it's a mm. good one. Mm. Um, and what we, you know, want to leave you with is if you do find these quite challenging, practice them. You know, practice this a few times uh, every day or every couple of days or however, however often you want to, and then re, you know, start retesting it as well. Um, but yeah, definitely some cool cerebellar tests and activities for them to do. Great, thank you, Sarah. And oh, just sorry, gotta leave you with one thing about grip monkey bars. Yeah, yeah, we like it when kids um, hang off monkey bars. And we like it even more watching adults try to do it, you know. Yes. So um, don't be scared. Just get out in the park and, you know, try and hold your own body weight um, yeah. on some monkey bars. Yeah, great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, let us know how you go with those couple of little fun tasks. We would love to hear from you. Uh, and as always, you can find us on Instagram at the3littlethings.pod and on Facebook as The Three Little Things. And Lily and I are always very happy to answer any of your questions or if you have a particular topic you'd love us to chat about or source a contact and a guest to chat about, then please definitely let us know. In the meantime, we look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you in episode seven. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.